0: One of the uh, neat things about the the Christmas season is we tend to know the stories that that come. And a lot of times we know the stories because of the songs, Um, all of the Christmas carols that speak of these events. We don't have too many Lenten carols, you know. Fasting and fasting, yay! I mean, you don't carol about fasting and ashes and kind of lament that. So, the Christmas carols, you know, you speak of all these joyful things, and and uh, of course, one of the things we remember from the story today is how the Magi followed this star. I don't know. I think for most of my life, I thought, I mean, that's probably an embellishment of some kind. A lot of times, we think that way about the scriptures because. It just kind of seems outlandish. And then I was reflecting on this. Did any of you, any of you see the, the great conjunction that happened? You can raise your hand. We have a little participation here. That's good. I had never seen anything like it. Now, I, I, that's, that's probably not uncommon for me that I wouldn't have, not because it's a bad thing to do. It's just not something I, I normally do. But I did that night. And it was pretty impressive seeing, you know, Saturn and Jupiter um, aligned like that. And it made me think of of this feast. And I thought, you know, okay. So 2,000 years ago, magi, people studying the heavens, would have been aware of such sort of seemingly impossible events. And no doubt maybe had seen something like that. Which would lead them to believe that maybe something miraculous was happening. I mean, it's it's really not that far-fetched when you think about it. So the wise men come. And this feast is called Epiphany. And Epiphany or Epiphaneia means manifestation. And what we have during the Christmas season, beginning with Christmas, but throughout the entire season, are these manifestations of who Jesus is. Right? So... Uh, We have, of course, Christmas, and we have the Holy Family. Now we have the Epiphany. And the Epiphany, the central message of the Epiphany is this, that the Savior is born for all mankind, not just the Jews. This is a very important point that is made throughout the Scriptures, throughout the New Testament, especially with, you know, St. Paul and his writings. And the fact that you have non-Jews, Gentiles, the Magi coming forward to greet the newborn king and to do him homage to worship and venerate him is is significant that they're able to even see that he is the Messiah. That not just the Jews could see it, but that even non-Jews could see it. And that salvation is meant for all peoples. And then, of course, the gifts. Well, the gifts mean stuff, right? I don't know if you remember from from your catechism when you were little, but we'll go through it again for the test. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, he's a king. You give gold to a king. Incense is what is offered to the divine or a deity, right? Incense, the prayers rise up to the divine. So incense is given because they recognize his divinity, and myrrh, is used in burial or was used in burial. And so the myrrh is a representation of his humanity. So you have kingship, divinity, and humanity, right? You have this revelation of who is Jesus. He's the king, the newborn king of the Jews, who is perfectly united in his divinity and humanity. Okay. Now I could stop there. But kickoff is until 2.30. <laughs> so when we think about, let, let's, let's, uh, let's kind of move it to this space. When we think about why are we here, kids ask us all the time. Why do we have to go to Mass? We just went, you know, especially last week, right? You, you, went, you went to Mass, you watch Mass as it is today. On Christmas, And then two days later, you got to do it all again. Isn't that too much Jesus? Isn't that too much religion? Holy cow. The, uh, the Sunday after Christmas is always a little less attended. You know, we always prepare for that because we figure some people think that they get off the hook by having gone on Christmas. Just so you know, you don't. But right now, everybody's off the hook. So I'm just glad some people have shown up. Why do we have to go to Mass? Why do we go to Mass? Or, I don't want to have to go to Mass. I don't get anything out of it. I don't get out of it what I think I should get out of it. Mass is not about what you get out of it. The wise men did not go to Jesus and give him homage for what they got. Their focus is what they gave. They gave worship and they gave gifts. They gave of themselves. That's what worship is. There's a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, kind of a common Catholic thing to, I just go and I get my Jesus and then I'm on the road in, you know, 40 minutes, I'm out of there. That is not what mass is for. That's not what the Sabbath is for. God created the Sabbath, not merely that we would do him homage out of obedience i mean there is that but that it's befitting of us in our understanding of what it means to be a human person created in the image and likeness of God it is good for us to worship the one who created us one of the things i've i've said to kids over the years and even some adults is it really that much to ask for an hour an hour 10 once a week, that we would give worship to God? You're like, oh, Father, now I'm feeling guilty. Well, is it too much? I mean, given what we, all of the other time that we give, God's asking, I mean, you know, he wants us to pray. He wants us to do some other things during the week. But principally, he's asking that we give him, give him about an hour a week. I mean, you're lucky we're not Southern Baptists. I think the Mormons too, right? They have, a, they have a much longer, there's like three or four hours. I don't think anybody would show up if we had that. So God's asking for that. Now, what is it then that we can give to God? Again, we need to change our focus about why we do what we do here. I mean, it, it is valuable To receive, you know, a good message in the homily or or beautiful music—that's good. That—that's a wonderful thing, and there's nothing wrong with with appreciating that at all. However, the reason we're here is what is because of what we give. You know, the etymology of the of the word liturgy, you know, divine liturgy. What we do here, liturgy, is work of the people. What we do here is what we give. And what is the greatest gift that you can give God? That we can give God. Well, think about it in in relation to how we experience each other. Husband and wife, what is the greatest gift your husband can give to you? You think about all the the many gifts that he's given and etc. You know really the reason you married him is because he was the gift. This is not lost on the men because men have a much easier uh, ability to see their wife as gift. Men have a hard time seeing themselves as gift. But if you ask, a, you know, most husbands, if you ask about their marriage, they will say, she is a gift to me. It's her person. Nothing she can give me You know, certainly the children are also a gift to me. But if when we really drill down on what is what are our greatest gifts, it's it's our beloved. Right. It's our if you're married, it's your spouse. Your children are a great gift to you. And I know some of you are out there saying, Father, not always. But they are and children, you are. You are a great gift to your family. You're a great gift to all of us. See, what God wants, and I know this sounds like a Barry Manilow song. It's gonna, you're going to think, Father's really sappy. I am. I really am. I've, I've made peace with this. After I'm so close to 50, I just I've given up all the pretense. I'm a sappy guy. The truth is, the truth is this. God wants you. You are the greatest gift that you can give God. It's why he created you. We, this has been the teaching of the church for centuries. It's in the scriptures. It's clear. God is deeply, madly in love with us. It's the only reason he creates us. So he can love us, hoping we will love him back. That's what he's after. Well, doesn't he want all this other stuff? Well, yeah. I mean, if you love somebody, you want them to be the best version of themselves, right? You want them to be as virtuous as they can be. You want them to grow. Of course, that's all true. But even a parent, right? A parent, they, they look at their child and they're like, okay, I just want him to grow up, mature enough, so he's out of the house by 35, and he can support himself, he's got a good enough education, he can if he's gonna get married, he can, you know, support a family. I mean that parents kind of think that way. But if he doesn't, and he's 42 and he's still in the basement, the <laughs> The parent isn't going to love him any less. You're not going to say, well, do you love him less because he's not self-sufficient? Well, no, of course not. But I wish he'd get out. But it doesn't change the lovingness. That's my point. So God's love for us is always perfect. It's always infinite. He wants us to be better. He wants us to grow. But the love is always there, and we are always a gift to him. So why do we go to Mass? To present our gift. To come back to him and say, thank you for being a gift to me. And I give myself back to you as gift. I realize that that might sound too affective for some of you. And I know men, we struggle with that. Women don't struggle. It's part of their genius. They don't struggle with that as much. It's one of the beautiful things about women. But men, we do struggle with that. But not just men. I I don't want to just pick on men. We all, in some ways, struggle with our sense of self that somebody could love us that perfectly, that they just want us around, so to speak. If you're a grandparent, you know exactly what this is like. Or even if you're a parent and the kids are scattered, just having them back, having them back is a comfort and a consolation. The Lord wants to love on us. And to love on us, we need to show up and present ourselves to him. And here, we also do, of course, receive gift back. Gift back in the word and in the community and in the music, etc. but principally gift back to us in the Holy Eucharist. Please stand.